0: As I mentioned, this is a special weekend. And probably the title of my sermon is a little unconventional for Easter service. But I think you might get the idea. Darkness. There's, there's a time in between. A time after and a time before. And a lot of us live in that moment, that time in between. And I want to explore that. The darkness after the cross and before the resurrection. Are you afraid of the dark? Uh, you know, maybe you've outgrown the fear of the dark and it's okay, you can go out in the dark and you're not worried. Um, I was absolutely afraid of the dark when I was a kid. And I think uh, as I've gotten older, I've tried to justify my, my fear, and, uh, and I've, I've said, well, it's, it's not so much that I was afraid of the dark, it's the fear of the unknown, what, what might be there. It's that, uh, what's peering out from the darkness question? The, what's crouching or crawling or lurking in the darkness? What might I bump into if I step out there? You know what I mean. You've at least been afraid of the dark, if you weren't right now. Many overcome their fear of the dark, and it's not a big deal as you get into being an adult, but there, I think, is still something unique about darkness. If you were to have your choice, where would you rather sleep, out in the dark or in your warm, cozy bed? If you'd have your preference, would you prefer to hang out in the dark, maybe where it's cold, or would you like to be around a fire? Right? There's something about darkness that still is it's not the design that, that I think God intended for us. He 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 talks about himself as being light. Actually, next week we're gonna start a series from first John, and it's gonna be called Little Children. It's it's for the little children, but it's also for the rest of us. Uh, and, and John talks to the church as little children. And the first of these uh, this series of messages is called Light. One of the characteristics that God has is light. When I was a kid in Cleeton, Kentucky, I, uh, I lived in the house that's got the orange dot on it right about the middle of the screen. 143 Main Street, I think or 134, something like that. Anyway, I lived on Main Street, a town of about 250 people. So not a big place, and there are maybe six streetlights in the whole place. I think actually we had a streetlight installed, and we paid for it on our utility bill every month because it was so dark in our area, and we we wanted a light behind our house. But on the the street, there's not a lot of streetlights, maybe six or so. And do you see the other orange dot towards the edge of the screen? That was my friend. He lived about a quarter of a mile away from me. And in the winter, when it was dark, early, I would be going to or coming back from his house in the dark. And I was terrified. All the way down that hill, from, from his place down to the road that turns into to the rest of the town, all the way down that hill, there was no street lamps at all, completely dark. And uh, people flew by there uh, in their cars pretty quick. And there was no, like, sidewalk or anything. And so there was a bit of fear uh, just walking that distance. And, and then you turn the corner, and there's, uh, there's a lot of trees in this neighborhood. And, and how streetlights cast shadows, and the, you know, where there isn't light, the trees make it even darker. And so as I'd go by a tree, I'd, I'd uh, try to get uh, around that tree. And I, I wouldn't want to be right underneath the tree, And what was going through my head, I remember this very clearly, I remember standing in this particular spot and looking up with fear into the darkness of that tree. Who might be there waiting to fall on top of me? (laughs) Why would I have ever thought that? I don't know, but I, I was a kid and I thought that. And, then, and so I'd get as far away from that as I could, and, uh, and then uh, I'd, I'd get to the edge, and in this town there's these ditches on either side of the road, and I'd get to the edge and there's this dark ditch, and I'm like, oh no, what might be in that dark ditch? And I'd get to the middle of the road, and, and, uh, and I'd, I'd run as quick as I could to the next light. Honestly, a bicycle was my best friend at night, because I was too fast for anybody to catch me. There is a darkness that descends on our hearts that streetlights can't fix. Um, there's the darkness of doubt. There's the darkness of hopelessness, the darkness of ambivalence, the darkness of loss, the darkness of a cold and stubborn heart. And I'd like to tell you a story of darkness today. And, and I, I want to point out that today is a high Sabbath. You know what a high Sabbath is? Back in the day before, before Jesus came, the festivals and everything uh, that the Jews would do to remember the promise that a Messiah was gonna be coming, um, they, they would have the weekly Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. But then some of these festivals, like um, the Day of Atonement or the, uh, the, the Feast of Booths or whatever, they're kind of arranged around the moon cycles You know, monthly cycle, and so when a high or when a uh, festival would happen at the same time as a weekly Sabbath, it was called a high Sabbath. And today is a high Sabbath. It's towards the end of the Passover festival, Uh, and this this year. The Jews have been pretty good about keeping these, these calendars, so we know this. This year, um, starting last Sabbath, the Passover week began, and it ends with the, um, the wave sheaf tomorrow on the, the 4th of, of April. So this Sabbath is the, the, the last day of the Passover festival. And it happened exactly like this 1,990 years ago on April six. Did you know that? 1,990 years since the Passover when Jesus gave his life. 1,990 years since the animal sacrifice had any significance. Because before Jesus, it pointed towards him. But once Jesus came, he died once for all, and we do not need to sacrifice animals anymore. He fulfilled all of that good, uh, all, all of that symbolism. So, in in, uh, this high Sabbath that we're remembering, 1,990 years later, we look at what Jesus did yesterday, that would be um, the, the day that he was crucified, and tomorrow, that would be the day that he was raised from the dead. But very rarely do we spend any time looking at this day, the Sabbath day, the day between the day between the crucifixion and the resurrection, the day of darkness. I'd like us to imagine that day. Just think about yesterday for a minute. Jesus was on the cross. Um, All of those things happened that we read about. And, And then he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he died. The disciples and the women that loved Jesus experienced a deep darkness of loss. And they also had this sense of maybe hopelessness and fear. The people who stood around the cross jeering at Jesus and the centurion who had said, this must be the Son of God, hung their heads with an awful darkness of shame and guilt at what they had just done. The priests and the religious leaders in Jerusalem settled into a dark determination to ensure that Jesus would have no opportunity for coming out of that tomb. The darkness that had mantled the earth at the crucifixion was not more dense than that which still enveloped the minds of the priests and the rulers. At his birth, the star had known Christ and had guided the wise men to the manger where he lay the heavenly hosts had known him and had sung his praise over the plains of Bethlehem. The sea had known his voice and had obeyed his command. Disease and death had recognized his authority and yielded to him their prey. The sun had known him and the sight of his dying anguish had, had hidden its face of light. The rocks had known him and shivered into fragments at his cry. Inanimate nature had known Christ And had borne witness to his divinity. But the priests and the rulers of Israel knew not the Son of God. They didn't know him. And so they were in darkness. They had carried out their purpose in murdering Jesus. And now that their task had been accomplished, they didn't have a sense of victory. In fact, they had a sense of foreboding, a worry that maybe it would be worse now that he had died than before. At his cry, it is finished, they were restless and uneasy. They were jealous of Christ's influence when he was alive, and now they dreaded anybody looking into the events of his death. And yet many were. Many were looking to find out what was this that just happened. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had both been secret followers of Jesus in the Sanhedrin and hoping that their influence in the Sanhedrin would be in his favor somehow. But secretly, they had been on his side. Now that the Sanhedrin had blocked them from their deliberations and chosen to keep them from the decision to crucify Jesus, they realized that they couldn't be of any more assistance to Jesus in the Sanhedrin, and they openly professed their faith in him by going and asking for his body. And they they won the approval of of, uh, Pilate and were able to take Jesus' body down from the cross. And tenderly, lovingly, they took him and buried him in Joseph's tomb. These two had been studying... They had been looking into this question of the Messiah. They had been studying the prophecies of Daniel, like Daniel 9 and the 70-week prophecy that came down to right at the time Jesus was baptized. And now, um, the middle of that last week, that seems to be clearly indicated there in Daniel 9, Jesus was crucified, and, and their hearts were determined and confident that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. And there is a certain hope in, in their study in their knowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. They read. they, They also remembered what Jesus had said in the garden, like Nicodemus, when he was there in the garden a few years before with Jesus. You can find it in John chapter three. And you know John chapter three, verse 16, but do you know verses 14 and 15? Jesus talking to Nicodemus says this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And he remembered that and probably talked to Joseph about that and said, look, he was just lifted up. And when they saw the soldier pierce Jesus' side with a spear, they remembered what they had read in the book of Zechariah, where he said, and I will pour out on the house of David and their inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. These prophecies filled Joseph and Nicodemus with confidence, and they confirmed their faith. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. But lots of other people were looking in. There's people that came into Jerusalem during that day that didn't know Jesus was being crucified, had no idea. Uh, Many of them came to the temple and were were crying out to the priests, where's Jesus? We've come to be healed. Lepers and people with uh, blindness or other problems, they had come to be healed by Jesus and Jesus wasn't there. And the priests couldn't do a thing to help them. They had no ability to perform some miracle like Jesus did. And all they could tell, all they could tell them was that Jesus had just been crucified. And of course, they're saying, why? What in the world is happening? Now, not only were those people coming um, to, to see what happened to Jesus and to try to figure this out, but they, many of them were coming to the Passover for the Passover's sake. And, and there seemed to be some change. Jesus... The Passover lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, had just fulfilled that ceremony, and now there was no purpose in it, and people kind of felt that. There's something different, and they started to look, and they started to wonder, and they started to explore, and they they read the scriptures, and they started to look at the prophecies, and they wanted to know, why why is it that we do this thing? And they started to realize that they were doing it to look forward to the Messiah, and many in looking into the scriptures, believed. Some, they had heard that Jesus was the fulfillment of this Messiah prophecy, and they went to the scriptures to prove them wrong. And yet, you know what they found in the scriptures? They found that that was right, that Jesus is the fulfillment. And many, going in as skeptics, came out believers and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's from these people, these searchers, that the disciples, um, 50 days later, end up proclaiming the gospel and calling them to repentance. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. And, And it says that thousands were added to the church that day. Because they had their belief had begun in their search of scriptures at the time of Jesus' death. But then there were the, the disciples. The disciples had this cloud of confusion over them, a darkness in their souls. They didn't reject Jesus like the Sanhedrin had, but they also weren't searching the scriptures like Joseph and Nicodemus and all these others. In their darkness of disbelief, of their darkness of ignorance. Um, rather, their, theirs wasn't a darkness of disbelief or ignorance, but, but more a darkness of loss and grief and, and sorrow. They had never loved Jesus as much as they loved him now that he was gone. Have you ever had that happen to you? You didn't know how much you liked something until it wasn't available anymore? This is kind of how it is with the disciples. They, they loved Jesus before, but now that he's gone, they can't have him. They really, really, really wanted him. But they couldn't, they couldn't raise him from the dead. They couldn't make any change. And so they had, they, they had to sit in their grief and their loss. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. They truly believed. But they completely overlooked his promises. If you look at Matthew chapter 20, in verses 18 and 19, you'll find Jesus makes a very clear promise to them. You can even find it in John chapter 16 if you want to go there. He's, he's not, um, it, it's not like they should have forgotten this. It wasn't a, um, a, a hint or a parable. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. That's pretty specific, right? We're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. Did that happen? just as he said it would. And they will condemn him to death. Did that happen? Absolutely. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Did that happen? Absolutely. And he will rise on the third day. Why were they in darkness? Because they forgot God's promise. They forgot to pay attention to what Jesus had told them. And so they sat in the darkness of sorrow and grief not, not even paying attention to the fact that Jesus had said, hey, it's just going to be a, a few hours here and I'll be back. Hmm. Their faith in Jesus had perished while their deep love had remained. Like me, when I was a little boy, they stared into the darkness and imagined horrible things. They imagined that they would be the next targets of the Sanhedrin. They imagined a life without Christ. There's another figure in this story, not the Sanhedrin, not the people around the cross or the people coming into the, to Jerusalem at the time, not the disciples. The other person is Jesus. That day, from the time Jesus said, it is finished, Jesus was in a darkness as well. Now, he had already experienced his emotional darkness prior to saying, it is finished, if you read Psalm chapter 22, you'll get a sense for the emotions that Jesus was having. This is a, a Psalm of David, and David, he describes what Jesus was feeling. Like, in one place he says, I'm a worm, not even a man. Like, this isn't going to work. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it right. Like, there's some f- sense of, of um, worry that was there. Psalm 22, 1 and 2, um, Jesus quoted this and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cried by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words, the very real emotions of Jesus when he was on that cross. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is absolutely God, and Jesus knew that there would be a successful end to this story, that there would be a resurrection. He had said it before, he knew it then, but he's also, he's also human, and he experiences the same human emotions that we experience. And so by faith, he knew there was a resurrection, but, but in his heart, he felt like the darkness was there, and maybe there wasn't, maybe, maybe it wasn't gonna work out. And so by, by faith, he clung to the promise of God, the promise of his father. And, and then he said, it is finished. It's accomplished. It's, it's done. I've been successful. He cried out with a loud voice. This is triumphant. It is finished. And then he bowed his head, and Jesus experienced the darkness of rest. That, that's a, a sweet, peaceful darkness. There's no worry, there's no turmoil, there's no struggle, there's no challenge, there's no hunger, there's no longing, there's no burden, just sweet, unbroken sleep. How many of you like a good sleep in darkness? Sleep can be one of the sweetest things we experience, can't it? And yet it's darkness. Darkness. You see, it's not about whether it's dark or light, because we're going to always experience darkness, aren't we? The question is, how are we responding to it? Do we have faith or not? Are you afraid of the dark? There's so many experiences that we have in life that are darkness, darkness. We have the darkness of doubt and unbelief. We resist submitting ourselves to the truth and cling to skepticism instead. And and so we cling to darkness. Have you ever done that in your life and God just keeps knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until you say, okay, I believe. We have the darkness of loss. A loved one may have fallen asleep in Jesus long before we expected they, they would. Maybe a precious relative or friend has died and left us wondering, wondering about their walk with Jesus, their place with him. And so we, we sit in darkness and worry and loss and grief. We have the darkness of shame and guilt, the things we've done, we know we've done, the things we've done to hurt others, the things we've done against God, and, and we sit and, and uh, stagger under the weight of the darkness of our own sin. Your darkness is unique to you. I, I don't know what it is. My darkness is unique to me. It may be for you a broken relationship that's left you in darkness. Maybe it's a financial burden. Maybe it's a, a secret that only you know. Maybe it's a family secret. Something that keeps you held in darkness. But, but we have a solution. Because of Jesus, we have a solution to darkness. Darkness. We don't need to cling to it. We don't need to stagger under its weight. We can rest in the sweet rest of Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. It says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, what happens is Jesus he makes earth. He's the creator. And the Father and the Holy Spirit are all there. They make everything that we see. And then they make people, Adam and Eve. And, and then they rest. They say it's good. It's very good. It's perfect. And they rest on the seventh day. And guess what Adam and Eve do? They rest too. They get to rest because God has done the work. And then there's, uh, there's Jesus on the cross. Jesus does Everything, it's perfect, very good, and, and it's finished. His work of redemption is finished on that cross. And so he says it. He says, it is finished, and he bows his head, and he rests. And it is no coincidence that this is a high Sabbath. No coincidence that Jesus rests the same kind of rest he did at creation on the seventh day of the week at redemption. The peaceful Sabbath rest. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest. This Sabbath rest. The rest of creation, we get to rest in God's work. The rest of redemption, we get to rest in God's work. Because of Jesus, we can experience rest in darkness. The only thing you need in order to experience this rest is something called faith. You know what faith is, right? Faith. When God showed his glory to Moses, uh, he, uh, he made this statement. He says, uh, in it's Exodus 34, 6. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and emet, faithfulness. Amet. That's the Hebrew word. And emet, it's a very similar to word that you know. Um, it's, it's a word somebody just called out just a minute ago. Amen. Amet and amen are cousins. And amen means, I agree, or that's true, which you're welcome to call out any time you agree with the preacher, by the way. Say amen anytime. (laughs) There we go. Emet, it it also means true, but it's, it's about stability. Have you ever talked to somebody and not really been confident that what they were saying was true? You don't feel like there's any stability in that relationship. Um, but, but when somebody is stable, trustworthy, faithful, consistent, you would call them a Met. That man is a Met. Somebody called Jeff Ponnell a Met yesterday. <laughs> they said he has a character of stability and faithfulness and trustworthiness Um, and, And so God says about himself, I am a met. You can trust in me. I am stable. And in fact, it's, I don't think, a surprise at all that Peter later on says that Jesus is the rock. There's stability in this. He's the foundation of the church. Isaiah 55 is a statement that God makes about himself. He says, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So when God says, this is true, this will happen, you and I can look at that statement and say, I believe. You know what that means, that that Hebrew word is, when we believe in something? It's, amen, amen. Not amen, but, but kind of like that same word. It, it's related to emet. Emet is faithfulness and, when, and, and trustworthiness. And when you put your trust in somebody, you're doing something very similar. You're amen. You're, you're trusting. You're, you're stepping on what is good foundation. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our Amen, that I believe to God for his glory. God is trustworthy. Faith is not a complex theological concept. Faith is very, very simple. Faith says, I believe that God is trustworthy. I believe that God is trustworthy. Do you believe? Do you have amen in God's emet? (laughs) Do you believe in God's trustworthiness? Because that is faith. If you believe what God has said, then you are faithful. The Sanhedrin had pursued the crucifixion of Jesus, angrily yelling into the air with their fist in defiance against God I do not believe that God is faithful. I do not trust his promise. They're going to trust their own way, their own agenda against God at any cost. That's the the Pharisees' response. They do not have this trust, this faith. Jesus talked about them in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he said this in verse 19 And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Who's the light? Jesus, and the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The evilness in the hearts of the Pharisees made them, with their fists high against God, cry out to defy him and to to pursue against him in in their desire for their evil, greedy desires to happen. The disciples, in their deep sorrow, they weren't so sure about God's faithfulness. They were genuinely confused. They just said, We don't know if God's faithful. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm still confused. I'm not sure. They didn't trust themselves and they didn't know what to think about God. And they, they spent some time in darkness because they didn't have faith. But then there's those people who went back to the Bible and they said, I'm, I want to study. I want to understand what's going on here. And it's that group, Joseph and Nicodemus, some of the priests, some of the people that, that sincerely and honestly wanted to know what God's promises were. Those people left with faith. They trusted God's promises. And they said, we believe God is trustworthy. And finally, there's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, against all odds, when even the Father seemed to hide himself from him, Jesus clung to faith. He said, God is trustworthy, and then he fell into a restful sleep. Until the brightness of the second coming dispels it, you and I will always experience darkness. The question isn't if, it might be when, we're going to experience darkness. But it's what are we going to do about it? How will we experience that darkness? Will we defy God? Will we wallow in confusion? Will we go and search out God's promises and then say, God is faithful, I believe? What will we do? If we want to wallow in darkness, we certainly will. And that darkness will be a hard thing for us to experience. But God says there remains a Sabbath rest, a rest in the darkness, a peace in the darkness when we trust in God's promises. Two questions that you have to answer every morning before you wake, or as you wake up and every night before you go to bed, two questions that you need to answer. The first question is, is God faithful? And the second question is, do I trust his promises? Those are the two questions you should be asking every day. Every morning, every night, is God faithful? And do I trust his promise? And if those two things are true, if God is faithful, if you do trust, then you have peace. And Jesus says it, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace If you don't know God's promises, then here's what I recommend. If you're in confusion or doubt or uncertainty, then go to the Bible and let God tell you his promises. We we live in the in-between time, between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus, and there are all kinds of possibilities for doubt. And if you don't know the answer to the question, what are God's promises, then you should go to the Bible and let the Bible tell you. Search it out. Explore. If you know the promises then your answer to these questions about is God trustworthy and do I trust him will determine whether you have peace or not. Do you believe in God? Do you know he is trustworthy? I hope you can say yes. I hope you can say yes every day and that as you go through darkness in this in-between time, that you will go through it with, with peace and rest. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing our closing hymn. It's a it's a hymn of emmet. <laughs> it's called Christ the Lord is risen today.